Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Lately, many emergency medicine residency programs have been discussing how to increase the diversity of their training programs. We know that diverse teams show improved innovation and patient care, and today we're talking about holistic review in applicant screening and how this might affect selection of applicants from backgrounds underrepresented in medicine. Dr. Gannon Sangar is here to talk about his team's new article from this special issue of AEM Education and Training entitled, Implementation of Holistic Review into Emergency Medicine Residency Application Screening to Improve Recruitment of Underrepresented in Medicine Applicants. Dr. Sangar is an Associate Program Director for the Denver Health Residency in Emergency Medicine, a staff physician at Denver Health Medical Center, and an assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. His academic interests include curriculum development, program administration, and recruitment. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Dr. Sungar, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. So first, let's talk about some background. I suppose it should go without saying that it is beneficial for all concerned if we increase the diversity of the emergency medicine workforce, but there may be those who are unfamiliar with the data behind that. And so can you first describe some of the literature that you referred to in the paper's introduction? Like what can having a more diverse healthcare provider workforce do for the overall health of Americans? Yeah, I think this is really the essential place to begin, right? Why are we doing this? And I think often when we start to talk about increasing diversity in a particular environment, we fall back on this idea that it's the right thing to do, that there's a a kind of moral imperative, right? We should be inclusive because being inclusive is what we're supposed to do. Um, And while that may be true, I think that it's a relatively shallow understanding of the benefits of diversity within a workforce, right? We have data across industries that shows that increased diversity results in increased innovation, adaptability, resilience, um, and overall success as measured by multiple outcomes. Um, Within medicine, we have studies that show that diversity within healthcare teams improves quality, patient satisfaction, increases revenue, um, and that our educational environments are stronger for all of our learners when we have increased diversity. Um, And so I think it may be the right thing to do, but more importantly, this is what makes us better. Um, Lastly, I think we owe it to our patients. You know, we have a, the United States is becoming increasingly diverse um, and we uh, owe our patients a physician workforce that mirrors the U.S. population. You know, currently Latinx and Black physicians make up only about five or 6% of the physician workforce, which is less than half of their representation in the general population. And we have data again that shows that, um, you know, uh, matching physician and patient uh, demographics results in better patient outcomes. And so this really is not just the right thing to do, but something that strengthens our programs, um, strengthens our, um, our workforce in general. Fantastic, thank you for that. So the ACGME and the AAMC have asked that residency programs, I'm going to quote, engage in practices that focus on a mission-driven, ongoing, systematic recruitment and retention of a diverse and inclusive workforce of residents. 
So you note in your paper that the AMC recommends holistic review as a tool to help programs to systematically and equitably focus recruitment on diversity, as well as mission alignment with institution-specific goals. So let's start with what is holistic review? Like there's a, There is a lot to it, but in a nutshell, what does that mean? Yeah, and I think... Um... I think holistic review over the last maybe five or six years has kind of become a buzzword in graduate medical education. Mm -hmm. And I think like many buzzwords, in a sense, it has lost some of its meaning. Um, An example, I think, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago, if we were doing holistic review in our screening process, I would have said absolutely, because we were looking at applicants' complete files. We were reading personal statements. We were assigning value to every component of the file. But um, that was not holistic review as kind of defined by the AAMC. So holistic review is really a prospective and rigorous tool to systematically evaluate applicants across multiple domains. And it includes kind of an applicant's experience, experiences, attributes, and metrics. Um, the key to holistic review is that equal weighting should be applied across these three individual domains with no single area most notably metrics, kind of making up the lion's share of an evaluation. Okay, so let's let's talk about the experience attributes and metrics model and uh, and what the factors uh, that it suggests implementing in the applicant review process like how can how can that help reduce the effect of implicit bias yeah absolutely so th- this kind of experiences attributes metrics or eam model is kind of really at the core of holistic review um, and again it's equal weighting for an applicant um, across these three domains and to provide a little bit more detail I think metrics are probably the easiest, right? These are the things that we're all comfortable with. These are the traditional measures of success, things like USMLE score, uh, dean's letters, standardized letters evaluation. Um, Experiences is really twofold. So it includes both the individual level experiences, meaning someone's past volunteer experience, research experience, leadership experience, but also kind of populational level experiences. So the societal context by which an applicant has experienced their life. So for example, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, has an applicant had to care for a family member? How does that experience impact the rest of their application? How does that, what does that say about what they could bring to your program? And then last is attributes. Attributes is probably uh, arguably the most difficult component to kind of tease out. It includes kind of demographic components, so race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, but also individual characteristics, things like resilience, intellectual curiosity, your value systems. And I think attributes is hard because there's no clear place in kind of the ERAS process by which we can identify um, these components. Um, As far as implicit bias, I think the EAM model helps spread uh, the the, the methods by which we're evaluating applicants uh, across the kind of whole applicant. And it gives us, again, kind of a systematic tool by which we can apply that. Um, you know, we know that there are systemic biases in the kind of road to emergency medicine residency, right? We know that underrepresented applicants tend to have lower use of least scores, lower class ranks, lower clinical evaluations, lower induction into Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Society. And this is not because these are inferior applicants. This is, again, because there are systemic biases. And so this EAM model helps devalue the metrics component of our traditional um, applicant evaluation and, and ascribe value to other areas that really highlight how a specific applicant may um, bring strength to your program. What do you say to people who assume that putting a higher value on these attributes or who assume that um, holistic review gives 
an unfair advantage to applicants from minority backgrounds? What do you say to them? Yeah, it's about time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, what I would say is, um, you know, I think, again, we need to recognize that the path to an emergency medicine residency is much more difficult for underrepresented applicants. Mm -hmm. um, and so why wouldn't we value that ability to over overcome those obstacles? Um, additionally, I mean, I think we, we started with the discussion of the value of diversity. And I think, you know, if we accept that premise that diversity strengthens our teams, you know, this kind of flips this on its head, right? We're not doing these applicants a favor by recruiting them. Um, they are bringing a unique perspective to our programs, increasing our diversity and therefore strengthening our institutions. Um, I think one, not to dive too deep, but I think there's a quote that we use in the paper from the University of California, San Francisco GME office that I think really drives home this point. Um, they have a PDF on holistic review that's available on their website. It's an excellent resource, but I'll read the quote. So valuing diversity should not be considered giving special consideration to a person because they are from a certain group or identity. The diverse and individual perspective, experience, and language that an individual brings as part of their identity should be viewed as a skill that is valuable and sought out in the program. And I think that I love that quote because I think it really encapsulates this idea that diversity should be considered a skill in its own right. Mm -hmm. um, and we should be recruiting that skill. Lastly, I think this idea of unfair advantage, I would challenge them to say why, right? The whole point of holistic review is that, again, I'm going to say this over and over again, but it is a systematic and equitable tool that's applied across applicants. So if you prospectively created a strategy or aligned your mission of your institution with your recruitment, you know, we are not, we are not um, giving an unfair advantage. We are being strategic in our recruitment decisions. I love that thought of a diversity as a skill. I think that's I think that's great. Um, so you note that efforts to increase diversity must inc must occur through all the phases of the application process, um, screening, interviewing, and selection of the residents. And your paper focuses on the screening process at your institution. So can you just walk us through the changes that were made? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an important point um, that this paper focuses on screening interventions. Um, and in order to kind of successfully recruit um, a diverse resident workforce, you need to have programs in place at each level of the recruitment process. I do think it's really important to note. And I think one of the things that we found as we reflected on this work was that um, screening is, is kind of the gatekeeper. It's a critical juncture. And there is no ability to make up for lapses in screening at any of the later points, right? You can't elevate underrepresented applicants in the interview or rank process if they were screened out in the initial mm -hmm. phase. So I do think it's important to note that this is kind of a, an important place to start. Um, regarding our process, so holistic review is really, you mentioned this kind of mission alignment. And, and the first step to holistic review is really sitting down and thinking, what are the what are the type of applicants we want to recruit? So holistic review kind of inherently values diversity, but it's a tool that can be used for anything. If you're a program who wants to increase the representation of PhDs, you can use holistic review to elevate that group um, uh, in your screening process to, to to recruit. And so I think that's an important thing to to note. So the first thing we did is we sat down and we looked at our mission and. You know, at Denver Health, we're a county program, um, and we wanted to identify applicants who had shown a kind of commitment to care for the underserved, advancing health equity work, and this was kind of the core of our mission. Um, 
The next thing we did is we reviewed our existing rubric and we mapped it back to the AAMC's EAM model. So we looked at how we were ascribing value to applicants and where um, our existing rubric um, put those points according to their experiences, attributes, and metrics. Um, mm -hmm. When we did that, we saw that, you know, despite the fact that we were looking at complete applications, over 80% of our um, screening value was ascribed to things that the AAMC would classify as metrics. And so we tried to rebalance that. So we sat down with kind of our program leadership, experts from our Office of Diversity and Inclusion at the School of Medicine. And we um, really focused on providing more balance across the experience, attributes, and metrics domains with the major portions of our effort devaluing the metrics and increasing value in attributes. I think just to dive a little bit deeper, the, the big things we did for attributes is we created two new scores. One was a mission score, so identifying applicants who um, aligned with that mission of kind of care for the underserved and, and health equity. And the second was a perspective score, which was um, kind of broadly cast as identifying applicants who would bring a unique perspective to our program. And I think this is important to note. These are two things that we've cared about for a long time. These are things we talk about on interview day that, oh, this applicant has such an interesting, unique background. They would be so great to have here. This is an applicant who clearly aligns with our patient population. And yet we had no place in our screening process to assign value to it. And so these scores allowed us to identify applicants through the screening process who we were interested in meeting on interview day. So did you encounter any barriers when you were trying to implement these changes? Was there resistance? Uh, absolutely. And I think anyone who's interested in doing this work has to be ready to face some pushback. Um, I think the number of times we heard quotes similar to your prior statement that applicants are getting an unfair advantage, um, you know, was too many to count. But I think it's important just to remember that medicine is a big ship. There's a lot of momentum behind our commitments relying on these metrics to make recruitment decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and I think oftentimes we feel like these metrics are, you know, they're often numeric and so they feel more objective or more scientific. Um, and people hold on to that. And so uh, I think that the tools that we use to overcome these barriers is, again, we were very clear about this from the beginning. So we had kind of prospectively made a decision to change our recruitment strategies. We broadcast that widely to our residents and faculty. We had strong support kind of at all tiers of leadership from our chair, vice chair, program director, GME office. And most importantly, kind of over and over and over again, we just drove home this point that this was... Uh, our mission alignment for this year, for our recruitment efforts, we were making a change. Um, it was, again, systematic and equitable. We, we had this rubric that we were applying across our entire applicant pool. So then you performed a retrospective cohort study to look at what effects this change in screening had, looking at um, ERIS data from 2016 to 2020, and then application data from 2021. So Tell us a little bit more about this portion of the study. Yeah, so I think, as you said, this is a relatively simple retrospective cohort study. We compared the number of underrepresented uh, in medicine applicants um, using the old versus the new rubric in terms of the number of interview invitations, the number of interviews completed, and then the position of a given applicant on our rank list based just on their composite score within ERAS. So prior to the rank meeting where we may shuffle people. 
Um, I think the only other important thing to note about the methods was how we defined underrepresented. So historically, the AAMC defines underrepresented um, by specific racial self-identifications. So Black, African-American, Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish origin, Native American, and Pacific Islander. About eight years ago, the AAMC changed their definition of underrepresented to meet um, basically any applicant who is underrepresented in your local program. Mm. Um, in order to make this as generalizable as possible and as standardized, we use that kind of historic definition. So based on those five racial and ethnic self-identifications to classify applicants that were underrepresented. Um, and so I think, you know, we obviously were recruiting for diversity aside from just racial and ethnic diversity, but this paper really just focuses on that. It's interesting. I hadn't realized they changed that definition. Yeah. Um, so you looked at you looked at data from it was over eight thousand applicants in your study. So what did you find um, regarding the impact of of implementing that holistic review in the screening process? Yeah. So I think again, this was a screening intervention, so we need to look at screening outcomes. So in short, following the implementation of holistic review, we saw a significant increase in the number of underrepresented medicine applicants invited to interview, interviewed, and then ranked within our top 100 based on their, their composite score. A little more detail, we saw a more than 80% increase in underrepresented applicants invited to interview from 14% um, to 25% of our interview cohort. Uh, total interviews for underrepresented applicants increased by more than 50% from 13% to 21%. And then underrepresented applicants ranked within our top 100 based on that composite score more than doubled from 11% to 25%. So um, I think we were happy with the effect um, that we saw in terms of uh, implementing this work. What advice would you give to program leaders who are thinking about making similar changes to their own processes in order to increase their program's diversity, having gone through or started this process at least, um, and then seeing these kinds of results, what would you advise other program leaders to do? Uh, do it. Uh, <laughs> I think I think this is really one of those things that um, it's just about making the decision to act. Um, and again, this was you know these were areas that that we cared so much about in our recruitment, and yet had never placed value in terms of our screening rubric. Um, and so this is really about just making the decision to do the work. Now, I, I want to be clear, I, I, by no means do I think that our system, our rubric is perfect, or even that this is a perfect roadmap for other institutions. We wanted to put this work out there uh, in, an, in a hope of kind of inspiring others to investigate how they could align their own institution's mission with their recruitment efforts in a more um, congruent manner. Um, and then, I, you know, I think just from a general advice, uh, this... Um, Again, you need that multi-tiered support. You need you need a couple advocates who are just willing to show up at every meeting and reinforce the principles of your recruitment efforts. Um, it is a bit more work, um, but I, I do think it's effective and I, and I absolutely think it's worth it. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us about this paper. I think it's really informative and very important. And thanks for your work. Yeah, thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this AEM Education and Training Podcast. Be sure to read the full text of this article, available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe to all our AEM podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.